Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Colony Drop, a Gundam podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Isaac. This is your favorite Gundam podcast where we talk about everything from Gunpla, which are Gundam models, to Gundam lore, ideas, concepts, the upcoming Gundam movie, Gundam music, like the intros and outros, and anything and everything that is Gundam in the awesome Gundam universe. The universal century, Isaac. Ooh, the meta century, the turn A century. Oh my God. Spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) Someone out there is very angry that hasn't seen turn A. Someone picked up their bootleg Blu-ray and like threw it at the wall. (laughs) Why even bother now? (laughs) The moon race was going to (laughs) win. Oh, so Isaac, today we are dipping into the mailbag. We've uh, we've got a lot of comments saved up from the last few months. I didn't realize this, but we have not done a mailbag in a while. So here we go. You know what? We just let it pile up and pile up. We're the opposite of the post office. <laughs> like it never gets delivered until like one day we're like, oh yeah, I guess we should check. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of the post office, uh, I've ordered a lot of things over the years online over the last like you know whatever twenty years. Never uh-huh. has a package been like lost lost where i had to actually submit a missing mail request yeah i think i'm in the same boat so shout out to all our mail or so our mail fans (laughs) shout out to all our fans in the united states postal service you're doing the doing the lord's work (laughs) out there delivering the packages except for this week isaac oh my god when something gundam i ordered is now missing are you sure the post office is at fault? Is this not some like shady Amazon dealer that was like, oh, I shift it. You know, it's up to you. No, this is from a reputable retailer. And now uh, the status is just stuck. It says your package has been delayed, but it will still arrive just late. But it's been like that for a month. I don't think it's coming, Isaac. Brian, it may have been seized by the authorities. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> You know who took it? The Manhunters. <laughs> Damn Manhunters. They were like, this is clearly going to Mafti. We have to stop this guy. <laughs> Mafti, this is why we need you. Free us from this tyranny. <laughs> yes. So Brian can get his his 1144 scale dom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, Isaac. Which, uh, which topic would you like to tackle first here? That's a good question. You know what? Time is of the essence. The Olympics are happening right now. We got to talk about the Olympic mentioning of Gundam. Oh boy, Isaac. This is a debacle if I've ever seen one uh, from a PR perspective. So listeners, this is probably going to be, I guess, maybe a little old news by the time you listen to this, but the Olympics have, what, one more day left as of the day we're recording this, Something Isaac? like that. One or two days to the yeah. the closing ceremonies or the remote closing ceremonies, I guess. Yeah. But about, what, a week ago or so, a few days ago, the BBC, there was a guy calling, I think it was, a, was it a bike race? And they were racing by, uh, they must have been in Odaiba, where the unicorn statue is in Japan. This BBC announcer gave it his all, and he said, somebody told me that this is the robot named Gandam. And uh, <laughs> I just I just loved it. What did you think of Gandam, Isaac? I thought it was great. I thought, I, I'm trying to piece it together in this guy's mind. All right, he doesn't watch anime. He's got no idea what Gundam is. He just knows there's giant robots. He kind of heard some intern talking about it. You know, this guy's an older man. He kind of grew up back in the day when, like, the Godzilla knockoffs came. And one of those knockoffs was Gamera, which was the space turtle <laughs> that <laughs> fights to protect Earth. The giant turtle. So maybe he thought, Gundam, Gamera, uh, it must be called Gandam. <laughs> 
So that's why he said Gandom. <laughs> I mean, you know what? A lot of people were upset at this guy. I actually didn't mind it. I thought he really tried, Isaac. You know, I think he gave it his all. You took the words out of my mouth, buddy. He gets an A for effort, you know. Most people wouldn't have wouldn't have done it. They would have gone gun dumb or gun dium. <laughs> and you know what his mistake looks a lot better in retrospect when we found out a few days after that the bbc screwed up again where they posted a tweet calling the unicorn a transformer <laughs> like there's it's one thing to get the name wrong because you don't know how to pronounce it i mean look we probably mispronounce some japanese people's names on this podcast all the time but at least True. we try this second tweet calling the unicorn a transformer was a complete and utter disaster I don't know, Brian. They might be right to an extent. Its face does open up. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty low bar. That's a pretty low bar. You got me there, but, you know, it still does it. (laughs) But what was even more egregious than the first tweet, you know what, I'll give them a pass, they got it wrong. But in their second tweet, they tweeted a non-apology that they just said, I see what happened here, who would win, a Transformer or a Gundam? They didn't even apologize. They just tried to cover up their tracks. I don't know. I didn't like that. You know what? All those robots are all the same to me. Yep. <laughs> yep. You got the Transformers and the, the, the Gunceptacons, you know. <laughs> uh, and then this BBC calling the, the Unicorn and Transformers set off this, like, chain reaction with all the news outlets because then all of a sudden these other screenshots started popping up of, you know, different countries calling both the Unicorn and the RX-78 statue, uh, the new one that they made just for the Olympics, you could see that they were labeled as Transformers in all of the in all of the, the newscasts. So it was, it was very sad. I would have preferred Gandom, but so it goes. You know what, Brian? Gundam fans and Transformer fans fighting together? This is exactly what the Decepticons want. This is a Decepticon <laughs> plot. Starscream and Megatron are behind this. <laughs> Megatron and, like, Paptimus? Yeah, they would work very well together. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, what else we got on the list, Isaac? All right, we've got sort of um, an out-of-left-field comment (laughs) regarding the military uniforms. As you recall, we kind of discussed that, um, I think it was pretty briefly in, was it 0083 we were talking about after Glow Zeon? All right, we're discussing the military uniforms. Like We went off on a tangent, as usual. (laughs) And we were talking about how, like, yeah, you can kind of change uniforms, you know, pretty quickly, more or less for, say, the U.S. Army, while other countries, like maybe, you know, parts of Europe or whatever, to an extent, they're still wearing the same uniform that at least some of their their units, like maybe a Royal Guard unit or some ceremonial unit, they're still in the same uniform from, like, hundreds of years ago. Not much has changed. We got a reply here from Andrew at Workhorse Diesel. He replied to us regarding our uniform comment and said, A quick statement on military uniforms. I was in the army from 08 to 18, and I went through two camo uniforms, just missed the old BDU-2, and two dress uniforms, and they changed both again right after I got out. The EF is like, get one for every uniform. End of discussion. (laughs) And he's right. Yeah. Do you have any headcanon, like your own internal lore reasoning, Brian, for why the Federation for the, for the longest time has just been, you know what, we got the khaki uniform. Maybe if you're on the bridge, you'll get like a blue if you're a man. And if you're a woman, you have the option of doing pink. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like Sailor's pink one in Frabo. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Uh, I don't know. I think they just want to save money. You know, that that's going to be my uh, my explanation. Maybe they reuse their uniforms after people give them up and leave the service they just put them back into back into circulation kind of like you know 
your high school sports uniforms? I'm going to go a step further and say not so much that it's a law or some like solid regulation, but I'm guessing when UC began, this was Earth's uniform. Mm. And maybe there was like a war at some point way back when to kind of finally unify the Earth into the Earth Federation. Not necessarily a huge war, but an important one anyways, the kind of the last war. Khaki was the, the, the winning side that formed the Earth Federation, and they stuck with it ever since. Well, there you go. Khaki wins. It's not really a, a politicized color, I think. Some countries have had black uniforms forever. It's not black. It's not a white uniform. It's not gray. It's not a really bright color or anything like that that might have a lot of cultural or religious symbolism, like a green or a red or anything like that. Khaki is the color of you know certain sand and mountain. <laughs> That's about it. But Andrew, thank you for pointing out to us and confirming that essentially you need a, a small meeting with top leadership to instantly change a uniform. <laughs> <laughs> you went through multiple uniforms at taxpayer expense, might I add. <laughs> While we're on the topic of 0083 Afterglow of Xeon, turns out, Isaac, like a few days after we released our episode, Gundam Info took it down. <laughs> Are you blaming us? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> This poor guy on YouTube, 1980 BMI, which I'm not sure what that means. Does that mean he measured his BMI in the year 1980? It could be initials, could be, I don't know, the initials of his favorite restaurant, like Burger Mart Inn. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? This poor guy, he, you know, he was trying to go look for it and it's not there. So it looks like they swapped it out a few days ago, Isaac. They put out Char's Counterattack. I think they even recently put out our favorite movie, Double O, The Awakening of the Trailblazer or whatever it's called. They swapped out 0083, so it's gone. What a bummer, but never fear, in case you were going to watch it, you can just listen to our review instead, or just not watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody, <laughs> but I actually wanted to see it. We thought it would be like a good thing to, to tackle, because not a lot of people talk about 0083 Afterglow of Xeon, but I guess no one will be talking about it again either, because it's gone. Brian, if we were even minimally involved, let me say this. I gave it a much better review than you, so I hold you fully responsible. <laughs> I did. That was pretty harsh on my part, but you know what? Stand by it. <laughs> Look what you did. Stand by my work, Isaac. <laughs> All right, we forgive you. On behalf of Sunrise, we forgive you. <laughs> on the same topic of 0083, another one of our longtime listeners, Eaton You. How do you think you say that, Isaac? Eaton You? E hmm eat on you he's gonna eat on you that's a threat that's what he says into his mic during combat in space brian he's like i'm gonna eat on you <laughs> that is really disturbing i'm gonna eat on your corpse <laughs> why is he also batman <laughs> <laughs> bat gundam going out send me out alfred <laughs> open the hangar <laughs> rachel so he actually had an interesting point. So, you know, we were asking about in W83, like, does it make sense that they loaded the nuke and that Nina was in charge of the Gundam versus the military? So it turns out that Eaton Yu, like uh, Workhorse Diesel on Twitter, was also in the military. He's saying here that basically when he was in the Navy, the, the shipyard pretty much ran everything until the turnover process to the military was completed. So Nina, he thinks, is right when she says that she can choose the pilot as the lead engineer of the Gundam project. Interesting. He had staff from what I assume is pronounced NAVC. I am not a military person. I apologize. Uh, NAVC overseeing the construction process and making sure the shipyard was meeting the Navy's objectives and meeting timeline benchmarks, which was probably the purpose of the Admiral. He was there to ensure Anaheim was meeting the Federation objectives. I guess, you know what? I guess that makes sense. I guess Nina's in charge, Isaac. That's real world evidence. Yeah. 
if we're going to compare one military in a fictional world with giant robots to the real world military, yes, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Cole was right. Cole didn't actually say, say that. Nina said that. She reminded him that she's actually in charge of the project. She put him in his place for sure. Uh, Eaton, you also discussed his thoughts on the nuke. So he believes there's only three reasons to load live ordnance into your weapon. One, you intend to fire it. Two, you need to make sure the machine and the weapon can communicate with each other. While inert ordnance can do a lot, there are some things only a live round can do, which I thought was a really good point. And sure. number three, weight and balance, but basically everything goes back to you intend to fire it. So if the only real great reason is that you intend to fire it, Isaac, I guess that means they were going to test it. Brian, what better place to test a nuclear weapon than an abandoned continent like Australia after the colony drop? Yeah, but see, here's the thing. I mean, technically, I guess Zeon has been defeated, and maybe the Antarctic Treaty isn't really in effect, but I believe they replaced it with the Granada Accords. You know, a <laughs> nuclear explosion is not quiet, Isaac. You, you know, Other people in the world can detect these things. They're going to know that, hey, you know, you're over here testing weapons that are banned. I still think it's a bad look. Yeah, not only that, but clearly Delaz, acting on behalf of what used to be Zeon, assumes that the uh, the treaty is still in effect. <laughs> he really pointed that out in his speech. He's like, you know, this is a clear violation of the Antarctic Treaty. Of course, the treaty was between the Principality of Zeon, which no longer exists, but still. <laughs> Delaz is keeping that hope alive. He's keeping the dream alive. Brian, would you want to be on that base when they test a nuclear weapon nearby? <laughs> nope. Mm-mm. <laughs> Nope, I've seen too many documentaries. I don't want to be anywhere near a nuke going off. Especially since, like, okay, this, well, this is its own little tangent, but let's run down it. I'll grab your hand and I'll take you with me. Um, if you remember at Solomon, after Gatto shoots the nuke, it essentially damaged the GP2. It did, yeah. Like, one arm couldn't move. Yep. So, should we expect similar damage, maybe even worse damage, if he tested it on Earth? Not Gatto, but if uh, whoever they put in it for all we know if they tested it on earth i would assume so i mean i don't see why not they made a big point of that in the ova i mean at least animation wise visually wise right i mean he couldn't move his arm so he had to eject the the bazooka he kind of just lets it go so yeah i think so it would have been damaged beyond repair so we did an episode where we talked about aliens and gundam and whether that was a good idea or a bad idea people had a lot of different thoughts on aliens eating you is back with another comment on aliens. So Eaton New says the best use of aliens in Gundam is the Vagans from Gundam Age. But as far as real aliens, Build Divers Re-Rise does the best to work them into the story. You know, Isaac, we didn't really include the Build universe in our aliens uh, discussion because the Build universe is a little bit too meta. I mean, aliens in that term was essentially code for humans we didn't know about. Because the Vegans were just human colonists sent to Mars. But I think that's his point on the Vegans from Age. That the best use of aliens would be fake aliens. I think that's kind of cool. I haven't actually watched Age. I know you have. But I did read up on the Vegans and I like that twist. Yeah, yeah. At the beginning, I don't remember watching it and thinking to myself, wow, it's actually going to be humans. I remember watching and thinking to myself, it might be humans. It could be something else. So I think it was done well enough. But again, that series had some other problems. I think maybe its main failing is its animation and how the fan base is either divided on it or overall didn't enjoy it too much because of its more soft look. But yeah, if we're going to have aliens and Gundam again, I'd be totally fine with a reveal that the enemy is actually humans. Yeah, I think it's a cool idea. 
Good point eating you. Eat on you. I'm gonna eat on you. Our next comment comes from Mr. Jake Brown. Mr. Brown, the easiest idea for a UC timeline series with aliens that I could think of on the fly takes some cues from the movies Virus, The Thing, and even Alien. All right, Mr. Brown, I like you already. But let's continue (laughs) with your comment. A mining fleet sent out just past Saturn to gather resources discovers wreckage that clearly isn't human in origin. As they inspect slash recon said wreckage, alien life is found. Mishaps occur, and the entire fleet is sporadically infected until the entire operation descends into chaos. This results in total destruction. Ooh, I like it, Brian. See, see, we have like the suspenseful threat of the creeping alien menace, maybe taking over people, taking over ships or mobile suits or whatever, and they're so far from Earth, we know reinforcements aren't coming. So it's almost a smaller contained story, but at the same time, it's I think it has a lot of potential. What I also liked about this one was that I believe he was setting it in like past Saturn. So it was really far away. The crisis is contained. If you destroy whatever alien is there, it's not getting back to Earth. It doesn't. Your whole timeline doesn't end up full of aliens. Absolutely. It could have a very 0080 ending where we see like the black screen with the white text that you know, some some bureaucrat general swept us under the rug with like, like a report, right? He's like, oh, it looked like there was some incident, but we couldn't really figure out what happened. Fleet destroyed, whatever. We won't send any more back to Saturn, waste of resources. End file. And, yeah, and maybe the protagonist <laughs> sacrifices himself to kill the alien. Or herself. Ooh. Ripley, okay. Uh. <laughs> oh, wow. Wouldn't that be such a cool homage? Like, they named the pilot Ripley. <laughs> Actually, that might be too on the nose. Actually, you you might be able to get sued. You know, <laughs> they just knock on your door. Yeah. Um, Come on, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> well, I'm sure they'd be they'd contact Sunrise pretty quickly, and they'd be like, "Come on, aliens show up. The pilot's name is Ripley, and she's a woman, one of the few <laughs> Gundam female pilots. Get out of here. <laughs> just send the check here. Yeah, give us our cut before the judge gets involved. <laughs> Next comment comes from I am me and not me. Another longtime listener. So Isaac, I liked his comment because it reminded me of your idea for how to end the UC a little bit. And he made his comment before our UC ending episode aired, but after we had recorded it. So it's very interesting that the two of you were a little bit on the same page. So he says, I kind of like the idea of the Minovsky physics equivalent was left behind by some advanced life form to be discovered by humanity with the end goal of allowing space travel and empathic communication with other space races. The motive for this would be revealed as some social experiment to determine if peace can be achieved between various races or if the universe at large would be better off with said lower life form uh, corralled into their own limited spaces, likely leading to their inevitable expiration. So Isaac, that sounds a lot like your group of scientists who know that the world has sort of ended before due to mobile suits and they keep making them again and again. What's the phrase? I think from Mark Twain, uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. Mm. So I am me and not me. You kind of hit the nail on the head. Our great minds think alike. This would be a cool concept too, especially because it draws in Minovsky physics. So that'd be very um, kind of meta, right? Yeah, it really grounds it in the Gundam universe somehow. Yeah, yeah. I like that. We use our magic physics, which apparently can do anything, but we kind of <laughs> use it as like a running thread across our our frequently occurring mobile suit genres. 
All right. Our next one is from Will Bierski. He said, why you guys always got to make fun of Gundam 00? Take out the movie, and it's one of the best alternate universe series, don't you think? What do you think, Brian? What do you think about what <laughs> Will Bierski said? I already told Will that this is the hill we're going to die on. Brian, we're going to die back to back on this hill. <laughs> Did you see the movie, Will? Watch it again. <laughs> I told Will that both you and I are very big on endings. If you fail to stick the landing, both of us would tend to say that that kind of undermines the whole journey of getting there a little bit. I think the first season of Double O was pretty great, actually. I thought it was really good. I was very much looking forward to the second season. And then the second season aired, and I was like, oh, that was okay. It, it, I didn't feel like the second season was as good as the first season, mainly because they repeated the same uh, mistake that I think Seed did in Destiny, which was spoilers for both series, I guess. You know, in Seed, uh, Mu dies, and that was like the big dagger of the series, right? And in Destiny, he's just back pretty quickly. <laughs> well, yeah, but... <laughs> right. And then the same thing kind of happens in Double O, right? Like, Lock-On dies... And then he's replaced by his uh, twin brother, and who, who then <laughs> takes over the name Lock-On again. And it's kind of like, okay, I guess. But, like, that seems weird. Yeah, I completely, <laughs> I completely agree. Endings are important enough to the extent that I would say Gundam 00's movie, they Game of Thrones the rest of 00. And but what that mean, I, I, know, I know, Brian, you haven't finished Game of Thrones, I believe, right? That's true. Yep. Save yourself. <laughs> But to those of us listening that have seen Game of Thrones, we know that ending did damage the whole series. You don't want to rewatch the series because of how bad that ending was. The Double O movie is the same thing. That terrible movie just kind of really ruined any, maybe not rewatchability, but it would certainly lower Double O in priority of rewatching. Season one, great. Almost rivals Iron-Blooded Orphans, I think, as far as how um, like brutal and gritty it can get. But moving past there and definitely into the movie, it, it, something was lost. A decision was made maybe in the writing team or the goal of the series. Something happened where they kind of lost what they had in the initial first season of Double O. So it's got great episodes, sure. But overall, it's just not that popular. <laughs> <laughs> they did it to themselves. You got what you paid for. <laughs> I think Double O is fairly popular. I think the issue there is that anytime you take such a huge risk like that, Isaac, of putting something like aliens into your end game of the show. Like you, you just inherently run the risk that a decent percentage of your audience isn't going to like it. Not even good aliens though, Brian, like these were silvery mercury, like fungi essentially. Right. Cause they like, yeah, yeah. they stuck on stuff and they like just grew. It was, I don't know. It was, it was such an out of, out of the left field approach. Yeah, I mean, look, Will, I'm glad you love the series, and yeah, yeah. there's a lot, there's other, a lot of other fans who love it as well. I mean, Double O, I think, has a one or at least one perfect grade kit. You know, you don't get the perfect grade unless you got a decent audience. There's so many different variations of the Double O out there that people really love. I'm glad you all like it. I just think that we're not two of those people that, that fall into the camp that, that love the Double O movie, so we're going to die on that hill. So Yeah, we'll die on that hill, but at the same time, i got to say, the A-Laws were kind of cool. The whole battle with them and their solar weapon. You know, Ali al that whole rivalry. It was, there's some good things in Double O. I'm going to enjoy rewatching it, but I will be laughing the whole time while watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs>
I really liked Lock On. I like you said, I really liked Ali Al Sanchez or whatever his name was. I yeah. liked the uh, the Throne Gundams; those were pretty brutal. You know who else was cool? The whole team they had on their support ship. Oh yep. Mm-hmm. I really loved the the use of this of a space elevator. You know, something like that's always yeah. been missing from the Universal Century. So having a space elevator, I thought was pretty cool. You know what? We don't see those too much, really. Yeah, and especially because you you knew if you were watching a Gundam series and you saw a space elevator that that thing was coming down by the end of the show. Yeah, especially with the constant talk about, oh, this is vital to like us getting energy <laughs> to Earth, and wow, you know, this thing's huge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our, our three superpowers control one each. <laughs> on to Hathaway, Isaac. Take us there. There's a user on YouTube named Aaron H. who wrote us a very nice treatise on Hathaway the movie he had a lot of good comments i'm only gonna pick out a few of them to talk about because uh, his whole comment we could probably do a whole half hour about he made a great point Isaac, that i didn't realize um and i'm not sure if maybe some of our other listeners have realized this as well but there's a, a part in the beginning uh that we definitely called out in our review where they're sitting on the shuttle in the beginning hathaway gg and kenneth and during the attack by the fake mafty goons Somebody shouts uh, like telepathically to Hathaway that they're fakes. And it turns out that that voice was not Gigi, but it was Quest. Oh my god. That totally changes that scene, Isaac. Brian, this does more than that. This confirms you see afterlife. And by that I mean the dead can talk. You can hear them. They can intervene. She's still watching out for Hathaway. Yeah, I mean, she's lolling Hathaway. Right. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, does this mean, oh, okay, Brian, are you going to call it? Are Shar and Amro going to show up? Are we going to hear their voices? Well, we already heard Amro. I mean, he already talked to Hathaway during uh, when he was uh, getting into the Kasai Gundam. So. Was that real or was that like hallucinating? See, now we have to know, like, how much of this is his head, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, that brings up another point. You know, is it a real new type communication or is it just Hathaway's stressed and, and going crazy? He's got too much on his shoulders. But assuming that it is true, you know, La La-esque new type communication, that really changed that scene. I think from that point in the movie, we felt that that was a good sign that Gigi was a new type. Does that maybe make you rethink that a bit? Or Aaron certainly thinks that Gigi is a new type as well. That was like really early in the movie. So right away we were like, oh, wow, this, this new type chick is like, she's on it. Aaron has the ears of a fox because this means... If that was Quest, then Gigi's not a new type because we haven't seen any new type abilities. This completely changes Gigi, really. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's still two movies left, so it, it definitely, you know, she's got time to prove out her new type uh, potential. But yeah, well, interesting theory, and I'm very curious. And the one thing I didn't look up about that, Isaac, and, and maybe the problem with watching it dubbed here is if you're a Japanese fan, you've been, you know, watching Char's Counterattack for a very long time, you would probably recognize Quest's voice actress there. That was so early in the movie that I don't know if I would have even thought to be, like, listening for Quest's voice actress instead of Gigi's right then. Yeah, you know what? I can kind of remember Quest's voice and Gigi's voice at the same time, and I have to say, I think they're similar. They're similar enough that in, like, a quick word you, you may not know. I mean, that was pretty quick. The issue is I don't... I haven't actually looked this up. I should... I, I was going to go do this and I forgot because we both watched Hathaway dubbed and I was wondering if the same person who did Quest's dub voice came back for the film, which she probably didn't because they've swapped out most of the old voice actors in Gundam. So at that point in the movie, I didn't know Gigi's voice well enough to know that it wasn't Gigi. 
No, and I mean we'd we'd seen her talk to Kenneth for like forty five seconds, <laughs> right? So if you hear a female voice, you just automatically think, "Oh, boom, Gigi." But I could see the Japanese knowing Quest's VA, who apparently came back for this. So interesting, good ear, Aaron. Yeah, you have the ears of a fox, Aaron. Aaron also pointed out that he heard somewhere that Hathaway actually met with Anaheim and helped design the Kasai Gundam, even testing it on the moon before hopping onto the Hansen, which is the shuttle at the beginning. I asked Aaron where he heard this from, and he he said he didn't remember, but he he was hoping it would be confirmed in the next two movies. So that's interesting, Isaac. I think that would have been a cool background scene. You know, I I know you were looking for more background story. I was looking for anything background, (laughs) Brian. Like, they gave us so little. And yes, I know there's a novel. I know I can try to read between the lines, but I'm not trying to sound thick-headed or anything, but for a lot of stories or series at least from the beginning i'd like my hand held a little bit to get me going if that's true that would be a pretty cool background scene uh, that would also give a lot more context to that low orbit delivery like you could show him developing the Kasai gundam with anaheim and them agreeing to give it to him but then saying you know what we're going to give it to you but we're not going to like give it give it to you you gotta come get it a little bit this could have been something that like he remembered if he fell asleep on the plane, right? They could do a scene of him kind of remembering like, oh yeah, what what day is that drop going to happen? Okay, you got to be in space to pick it up. And I don't know, he closes his eyes and we see a quick flashback and then, I don't know, Gigi bumps into him. Who knows? Something like that. <laughs> so if anyone knows if that's true um, and, and where it is stated, we would love to know. That's a cool thought either way, if that's your headcanon. One of my favorite parts of his comment, Isaac, was he, he took issue with your assertion that the Penelope and the Ksai Gundam look the same. <laughs> <laughs> and and I actually replied and told him that I agreed with him that I don't think they look the same. But I, I didn't have the heart to break it to you because I think that most Gundams look the same to you. Because <laughs> I, I think you called them like both just flying white triangles. And well, one's a, a grayish triangle. <laughs> the other one's <laughs> clearly white. But I mean, yeah. As for mono eyes, they all look different. <laughs> <laughs> See, Aaron, I told you. He just sees that blue and white, you know, color scheme, and he just zones yeah. out. He's like, eh, Gundam. <laughs> I, I roll my eyes and I turn on my targeting computer. And I'm like, oh god, <laughs> I gotta destroy another Gundam with my dom. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but Aaron, you, you left us a great comment. Uh, thank you for putting that time in. We really appreciate it. We both learned a lot. And uh, like you said, can't, really can't wait until both uh, part two and part three come out. So definitely looking forward to more. That's for sure. Eaton you also left us one on Hathaway Isaac. He also noticed that the Gustav Carl is a joke. <laughs> it was hard to miss. <laughs> it's, it was the only mobile suit that performed poorly. Like the Messers, <laughs> they did amazing. <laughs> He went so far as to call it pathetic. He said, for a mobile suit that is supposed to be the main mobile suit of the Federation on Earth, it's pathetic. His hypothesis is maybe the difference is that the Lundo Bell pilots are just really good, and they're in Jesta's in Unicorn, and um, you know, and maybe they're not in the Gustav Carls, and that's why the Gustav Carls are, are taken out so easily, but I don't know. How do you reconcile the, the performance of the Jesta's in Unicorn versus the Gustav Carl? You know what? I completely buy that reasoning. And let me explain why. We've established that that area of the South Pacific is considered a backwater. If you remember, the Manhunter investigator was complaining about why he's stationed out there. There's nothing out there. He wants to be reassigned. It's literally a backwater and there's nothing going on around there. So, by that logic, the Gustav Carl force in the area is also probably 
not necessarily the cream of the crop since there's nothing really happening in the backwater. That's a good point. So you, you basically got the backwater pilots out there, not necessarily the frontliners. Right, and maybe better troops were on the way because the the politicians' jet got diverted. They clearly didn't get there in time because the politicians got killed. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. So I'm I'm sure a better bodyguard regiment was en route, and then or or they were told that the Kenneth regiment would be up to the task, but clearly not. Uh, I guess another way to support that would be you know if you remember in Unicorn when the Londo Bell pilots land they take out some of the earth federation forces when bright starts to get a little suspicious about what they're doing they sort of easily dispatch all of the earth federation forces that they see i'm trying to remember i don't think i remember it's when bright descends in like the rock high loom and he's like you know you will all stop what you're doing right now and he has his forces just kind of seize authority yeah they you know they like cut off all their arms and things they're not lethal but they they disable them you've been debilitated i believe it i believe it I'll go with it. I mean, although they look really cool, I'd like to see them in better hands. <laughs> yeah. It's on my list to buy. And listeners, there aren't a lot of Federation mobile suits on my list to buy. That thick Gustav Carl just really gets Isaac going. Going to put it right next to my dome and like they'll be the thick boys going down the street. <laughs> thick squad. Here we go. That's what Isaac thinks when he walks away. Just, oh, that skirt armor. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, that purple skirt. Here we go down the street. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Would you install a Dom muffler on your car if you could? Maybe I would. It had to like make a Dom car though. It had to be like all purple and stuff. You know, <laughs> the antenna's like a heat rod. <laughs> <laughs> Our next one is from Double Zeta Plant. Double Zeta Plant pointed out something that we kind of missed, Brian. They said, I just noticed that at the beginning of Hathaway's Flash, they had an updated UC Next 100 logo. And he said they added Hathaway to the new one. So Hathaway's kind of moving up in prominence in Gundam lore, Brian. I think this is a good move on their part. You know, it really reminds me of how Marvel continuously updates their Marvel Cinematic Universe logo when the yeah. when all the movies start. That's probably what Sunrise is aiming to do here. They're like, you know what? Hathaway is a major part of the UC Next 100. Let's throw it in. I think it's pretty cool, too, you know? I mean, not to get ahead of ourselves, but in the event there was additional Hathaway content, it would be nice seeing him up here if he will be important, maybe in flashback stories or something. Maybe they'll make new content, kind of bridging Charge Counterattack between now. Maybe that's when we'll see the training on Luna. Mm, could <laughs> Who be. Who knows? It's possible. We got one comment about Unicorn 2. Ooh. We were discussing about you know how the Unicorn or the Banshee would get upgraded in Unicorn 2 and what new color scheme that they would take on, right? Because we've had you know, the Unicorn, the Banshee, and the Phoenix. So you've got white, black, gold. You know, we were wondering, like, what color you're going to get next. And Rudolph Claus on YouTube uh, mentioned that it amazes me that they never made a Unicorn Gundam that is the same color scheme as RX-78. And I thought, this guy's right. Like, how has that not been a special edition variant of the model kit that they sell, you know, only at the Bandai store or something? Lore-wise, my theory or my headcanon is really that the Federation really doesn't do that, Brian. You don't see the same exact coloring scheme ever since the original Gundam. Uh, Zeta had the same colors, but definitely kind of in different areas and not an exact match, right? So uh, maybe it would look cool. You know what, Rudolph? Do your own. (laughs) Take a unicorn (laughs) and paint it RX-78 colors. There was actually someone who replied to him, which I didn't copy for this podcast, but who said he was going to do that exact thing. So I I wonder how it's going. Whoever you are, 
post it. In fact, finish it immediately. <laughs> Stop this podcast and begin the painting. <laughs> <laughs> and then post it and tag us. <laughs> yeah, I think this is something, though, that they could totally sell as, like, a, you know, exclusive Comic-Con edition or Anime Expo, can, you know, edition or, or something that they sell at the Gundam base only in Tokyo. I mean, they make other special editions only. You know, they've made 7-Eleven RX-78. You know, there's color schemes for everything. 7-Eleven? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a 7-Eleven one. Someone's going to probably look that up and be like, there's, there was never a 7-Eleven. There's a Gucci Gundam running out there, running around out there in the, the, the green and red. It's got the big Gucci belt. <laughs> the Beam G's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that'd be pretty cool, right? I mean, the Amuro edition unicorn Gundam. There's a gun for everybody. Gandam for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> In our musical episode, well, we've had multiple musical episodes, actually, <laughs> because you know what? The music of Gundam is that great. But one of Donkey Kong's cousins, who's named Gassy Kong, replied <laughs> to us and said, if you guys never noticed, the winner and Men of Destiny are essentially Danger Zone and Mighty Wings, respectively, from Top Gun. You know what, da- Gassy Kong? I have listened to Danger Zone. I'm not sure I've listened to Mighty Wings. I don't really think I hear it. I mean, they're both kind of quick, fast-tempo rock songs, very 80s style. But I'm going to go with it and agree with you because, as we all know, 0083 is very Top Gun and feel. You know, with the pilots and their, their testing and their training. And it, it just kind of has the same feel, right? You know, Co in the jacket. What do you think, Brian? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Double Eighty Three is Gundam Top Gun from you know top to bottom. No pun intended. Like you, I had never listened to Mighty Wings, uh, but after he said that, I went found Mighty Wings and listened to it. And uh, yeah, I pretty much agree with him that the winner and Men of Destiny are very much uh, influenced by Danger Zone and Mighty Wings. And uh, I'm okay with that. They're great songs, and uh, I like them. I like all four of them. So I'm okay with it, regardless. Brian, what bubble suit or Gundam would Tom Cruise pilot? <laughs> Oh, man. The answer is Maverick Gundam. <laughs> <laughs> is there an existing Maverick Gundam, or would that be an original? Oh, it'd be an original. It has, like, a puffy, like, bomber jacket, you know, and it, like, has mm. sunglasses, aviator, silver mirror glasses. <laughs> would it, it, it would have to be, a, like, a Zeta-style transforming one where it transforms into, like, a fighter. Yeah. Fighter mode. It has a ground mode, though. It turns into a motorcycle. <laughs> but it can only do that when a beautiful blonde woman gets on the back. <laughs> It's a triple changer, like like the Transformer triple changers. See? Full circle here. Here oh, we go. Wow. I like that. He pilots a Transformer. <laughs> they were right. We fell into the clutches of the Decepticons' plan. <laughs> no! <laughs> no, Gandum! <laughs> Isaac, one of my favorite comments that we received was very short, and it was on our seed reviews. It was from a guy named Sam Armstrong on YouTube, and he wrote to us and said, I actually like the Dual Gundam, so I bought the Master Grade Dual Gundam Assault Shroud, and I can say that it's not good, just like the Dual Gundam in the show. (laughs) Sam, I'm glad you confirmed what we all knew. (laughs) Even the fans of the Dual Gundam admit that it was not good in the show. Sam, I I hate to put you in a corner, but have you thought of returning it? (laughs) (laughs) Just go back to the store and say, you know what? I'd like to return this. And they'll say, why? And then you'll say, well, it's a dual Gundam. And then they'll say, say no more, sir. And they'll hand you your money back. 
Sam will say, don't you need my receipt? And say, nope, it's a dual Gundam. <laughs> Here's your money. Sam, I applaud your bravery for speaking up about a Gundam that you, that you love and acknowledging the truth. It takes a lot of bravery for a Gundam fan to admit they bought the dual Gundam. <laughs> we salute you, Sam Armstrong. On the bright side, you can like maybe put it in like a, a, a diorama, a kit. Maybe it'll be destroyed. Or you can kind of scrap it for parts and then mash it up with something else. Still options. We got one comment about our, our suggestion to do a fan dub of Double Zeta. <laughs> That massive project that would take like 600 man hours. <laughs> so look, here's the deal. So we had three volunteers for the Double Zeta dub. Uh, we had Rubber Shark and uh, Rudolph Claus. And one of them even volunteered to bring their fiance into it as well. And Oh, and a third person, Andrew French, also on YouTube. So really appreciate all of you volunteering for the Double Zeta fan dub. So here's the deal. I looked into it. It's not exactly simple to remove just the audio track. You don't say, Brian. <laughs> just the language part of the audio track. You can buy some fairly expensive software to like try to do it for you with you know some like AI power. Or what most people do is just they have to just end up deleting the entire audio for the section where someone's talking and replace it with their own audio. But then you get into this awkward situation where if you delete all the audio, then you also delete all the sound effects and all the music that's also happening if someone's talking. That's probably going to be very hard to replicate because then I think some people try to record their own audio and then they try to go add back in the sound effects and the, and the music. That's a lot of work, Isaac. Brian, it's a good thing we can do our own sound effects with our mouths. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Isaac will be in charge of all sound effects. <laughs> Do the message noise, Brian. <laughs> ah, the loss. <laughs> so nice of you to drop in. <laughs> so here's the thing, Rubber Shark, Rudolph, and Andrew. I can barely get the podcast by itself edited and up uh, every week. I don't know how many more hundreds of hours it would take to do a double Zeta fan dub. So as much as I'd like to do it, for now it's going to be on hold until Isaac can go record all the sound effects with his mouth. How about that? It's on our to-do list, guys. All right. We'll either beat Sunrise to the punch or Sunrise will beat us to the punch. I have a feeling that we are, even if it takes us 10 years, we would still beat Sunrise to the punch. <laughs> you might be right. I think they're really dragging their feet just based on how that show goes. They're really wary <laughs> of that first half season. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what? This will damage the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think the back half of Double Zeta is great. I think it's rough getting through that first half, but the back half I think is really good. And I, I wish, I mean, it has an official release, but I wish it would have been dubbed. And I wish they would just put it out there for people to watch. You know, I don't know. It's not one of those things that people are going to go buy the Blu-ray for. So I think they should put it on YouTube and they should just keep it there. We'll see what happens. They're, they're not going to listen to us, though, after you torpedoed Afterglow Zeon. <laughs> Or will they listen to us? Because as soon as we put out a review, they took it down. <laughs> Colony Drop wields a tyrannical power over Gundam <laughs> content. <laughs> Clearly not a coincidence. <laughs> I hope all the listeners out there know that that's a joke. I'm sure that Sunrise has never listened to any of our podcasts <laughs> at all. This is the part in like... <laughs> It's the part where they cut to a scene at like the the boardroom for sunrise and like the executives are yelling. They're onto us. Colony drop baka. <laughs> yeah. Podcast Americans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll be the day when we're in charge of Gundam in the United States. There's gonna be a lot of DOMs. <laughs> <laughs>
It's just gonna be called Mobile Suit Gundam colon Dom. Yeah. Domination. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh, here we come. And this is why we're never gonna be in charge of anything. <laughs> yeah. Fans are gonna be like, you know what? There's too many Doms. Also, a Dom <laughs> keeps killing the Gundams. <laughs> So the the final comment I'll mention, Isaac, is we got a comment from a fellow Gundam podcast out there called Gundam Book Club Podcast. It's in like a season format, and they dedicate a whole season to one subject. I think the first season was about Gundam Sentinel, which is pretty cool. He or she sent us a link to a uh, Dom Troppen conversion kit, which looks like the coolest desert Dom Troppen I've ever seen, Isaac. It looks pretty great. If you recall um, anyone that's seen 0083, the Dom Troppen shows up in 0083, these were the units that assisted Gato getting into space. They fought the Albion, bought Gato time for his craft to go into orbit. They had a really cool brown khaki colored desert color scheme. This looks pretty cool. I would want this, but like I want it packaged at the same time with a Dom. I don't necessarily want the kit that comes without the Dom, you know? I'm a bit of a picky guy, I guess. I do feel like that, in general, Sunrise has kind of missed the uh, boat there a little bit to put out like a Master Grade Dom Troppen. I don't believe there is a Master Grade Dom Troppen. There's a Master Grade Dom, Master Grade Rick Dom, maybe? Blasphemy. And maybe a Dom 2.0. I don't remember if it got a 2.0. But they've never released Dom Troppen, which I think is kind of a bummer. And they could at least do it in that re-100 scale that's like not Master Grade, but it's still 1-100 scale. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Sunrise. Give us our Dom Troppen. It's a great design. I think people would buy it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I like it. It's a, dare I say, a more militarized look than a lot of the regular doms, which are to a degree smoother and softer looking. Yeah, so you can get this conversion kit at newtype.us. I believe they have a wide variety of Gundam kits uh, available as well. So definitely worth checking out. Uh, I'm not actually sure which kit it uses as the, or which kit the conversion kit is for. Is there a dom perfect grade, Isaac? I don't think so. Well, what else is one by a 60th scale? That's that's the perfect grade scale. I was about to say, <laughs> maybe there is. There's got to be something out there. Otherwise, how do they take this picture? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it says on the on the link if you go look at it. Uh, but yeah, it's on newtype.us. It's called the uh, GMD 160th scale MS09 F-Trop Dom Trop and GK. I like it. It's pretty cool. If you like 003, you like the Doms, and you got a 160 laying around, <laughs> get this. So thanks for that suggestion, Gundam Book Club podcast, and everyone should go check them out. Uh, I think they're working on season three at the moment. It's a pretty cool approach, Isaac. They definitely able to dive in deep, right? Yeah, for sure. Nice. All right, Isaac. Well, that was most of the major pieces from the mailbag. So thanks again to all of our listeners for sending in comments, suggestions, feedback. We love to hear those comments, so keep them coming. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear those. If you have any suggestions for which series you'd like to hear reviewed next, please let us know. Uh, anything you want the listeners to to know, Isaac? Yeah, I do. We care about you guys. You guys are awesome. We like you almost as much as we like Doms. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a lot, Isaac. I mean, they're the listeners, Brian. I, li- I like you the way Dagwin likes food. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is also quite a lot. All right, listeners. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe. We'll see you next week. Isaac, take us away. All right, everybody. Don't forget, before you go to sleep tonight, stand next to your bed. Get on your knees. Put your hands together. Look up at the ceiling and hail Zeon. Good night, everybody.